Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Haunted Collection with your host, writer, paranormal investigator, and haunted collector, Kevin Kane. Here to share a few more of the favorite chilling stories from ghost lore and urban legends alike. I love a good ghost story, don't you? And I love sharing them. If we don't share these, if we don't continue to tell them, they simply die away into the air, never to be heard again. So let's keep sharing these stories as part of our culture. Back in the day before TV, before iPads and smartphones, people had only each other to provide entertainment. They would sit by the fire or on the front porch, as we do here in the South, and They would tell stories, sometimes family stories, sometimes funny stories, and sometimes they would share a good, chilling ghost story. Here in Alabama, we've got a lot of good ghost stories here. We've got a lot of history here, the Civil War, all sorts of things happened here over the decades since Alabama was founded. And with that, with that history comes a lot of good ghost stories that I loved to hear when I was a kid, and I still love hearing them today. One of my favorite authors, Catherine Tucker Wyndham, may she rest in peace, shared a lot of wonderful historical ghost stories, which you can find in her Jeffrey series. My favorite being 13 Alabama Ghosts and Jeffrey, but I'm biased because I'm from Alabama, which is where I'm broadcasting from right now in my own home, sitting here right next to the room where some of my haunted dolls and artifacts are kept. So if you hear a strange noise or an unusual voice besides mine during this presentation, it just might be one of my spirit family members that love to hang out here in my home. I've loved ghosts since I was a kid. I grew up in a neighborhood where a lot of ghost stories were shared. It used to be a Cherokee Indian territory there, and some say even a burial ground. There was even a graveyard, which still exists today, there in the neighborhood of Indian Meadows that dates back to the 1800s. If you're ever in that area, check it out, but be respectful. People still live there in those homes, and... The dead still reside there as well, so pay your respects. Well, today I'm going to share my first story. It's one of those many wonderful ghost stories of Alabama history. This one takes place in a little town called Furman, located in Wilcox County. This story goes back a long way as well. We call it The Crying Spirit at the Well. In the little Wilcox County village of Furman, very few houses had waterworks during the 1800s. A good well, one that would not go dry during a long drought, was a highly prized possession to have on your property. But wells, even good ones, presented problems. 
turning a heavy windlass over and over, or tugging at a rope to draw up a bucket of water was very hard work. Sometimes, especially in summer, there would be wiggle tails swimming around in the bucket of water after it had been drawn up. Then the well had to be treated with salt to kill the wiggle tails, and the drinking water had to be brought from a neighbor's well or spring. Things were always falling into wells, dippers, buckets, knives, sometimes even cats. Meow. The worst thing that could happen to a well was for it to go dry. This is what happened at the home of Dr. John H. Purifoy, whose grandfather had been one of the early settlers of Furman, and whose Purifoy descendants live in the same house to this day. Dr. Purifoy had a large well in his backyard. The well went dry, and there had been a parching hot summer with no rain for weeks. We get those a lot here in Birmingham, in, in Alabama, in the Birmingham area where I reside. But not only did this did this well dry up, but those of several neighbors dried up too, so it was a very big problem. This calamity occurred at a very busy time for Dr. Purifoy. Several of his patients were ill with malaria, and there were one or two babies ready to be born at any hour. So the busy doctor felt that he simply did not have time to cope with the problems of a dry well. He hoped that a heavy rain might replenish his water supply, though he knew such a thing was quite unlikely at that time because of the drought. To postpone the necessity of having a new well dug, Dr. Purifoy decided that water for use in the house and kitchen should be brought from a spring near Savage Hill, a mile or so down the sandy road from his home, until the hoped-for rain renewed his well, which would hopefully be in the future. It seemed a simple solution. The spring produced the finest drinking water in the country, and its owner was quite willing to share his water with his friend, the doctor. Dr. Purifoy's servants, however, showed that they were not pleased with his plan. Dr. Purifoy thought that their dissatisfaction stemmed from having to make the inconvenient trips to the spring and back on foot. He did not listen to their complaints closely enough to learn that it was not the trips that actually disturbed them. They were frightened by the tales of the witch who guarded the spring. Even if he had listened, Dr. Purifoy would not have been sympathetic. He did not believe in witches, so he was first displeased and then angry when his servants returned again and again from the spring with their buckets empty, damp, but very much empty. According to their stories, their trips were uneventful until they had filled their buckets with water and tried to go under or over the barbed wire fence that surrounded the spring. The witch, they said, was determined not to permit water to be taken out of the wired-in enclosure. No matter how hard they tried, the servants told Dr. Purifoy the water always spilled when they reached the fence. They were sure that the selfish witch at the spring caused the water to spill but they could not convince the skeptical doctor of this fact. 
He tried to shame them for being superstitious, and when they attempted to tell him about the black cat at the spring, the cat with the mean eyes, he would not listen. However, even if he did not believe the tales about the witch, Dr. Purifoy was convinced that he could not depend on getting water from the spring and would have to get a new well dug in his own backyard. So he summoned a crew of well diggers. I need a new well and I need it as soon as you can dig it, Dr. Purifoy told them, and they nodded in agreement. They nodded, too, when Dr. Purifoy cautioned them to use extreme care in digging the sandy soil. He reminded them that the well might cave in on them and kill them. As you dig, he told them, you must build a wooden casing inside the hole to keep the sides from caving in on you. He then showed them how to use the lumber and other materials they would need to build the casing. Before they began to dig, one of the workers cut a slender forked branch from a peach tree to use to find the place, the best place to dig. He held a fork, that's the shape the branch was in, lightly in each hand and walked slowly around the backyard. Soon the end of the branch began to twitch and jerk toward the ground. He stopped and shouted to the others, Here! Here's the place! Here's where the water is! Then he marked the spot and they began digging. Dr. Purifoy stayed with them until he was satisfied that the men would follow the safety precautions that he had outlined. Then he drove off in his buggy to see his patients. The well diggers followed his instructions for a while. But building the protective casing slowed down their progress, and after they had dug down about ten feet, they quit strengthening the sides with the wooden casing. Uh-oh. Well, the work went faster then. They took turns going down into the excavation and shoveling dirt into the empty buckets, which were pulled up by other workmen at the rim of the well. It was growing late, and they had decided to stop for the day, when suddenly, without warning, the well caved in, completely covering the man who had been digging down in the bottom. His companions worked frantically for hours and hours, trying to rescue him. Dr. Purifoy reached home shortly after the accident occurred, and he directed rescue efforts all night long. As time passed, he knew that even if the body was recovered, the man could not be revived. But his friends did not stop their efforts. They continued digging for days, and occasionally they thought they heard faint cries for help coming from beneath the sand. But the body was never recovered. Some people believe it was sucked away by an underground current. Nobody, nobody in Furman ever forgot the tragic death of the well digger, for there appeared two remarkable and persistent reminders of the incident. In the backyard, 
behind Dr. Purifoy's house, there is a slightly sunken area where the well was being dug. No grass will grow on this round spot, even to this day. Tenants who lived in a servant's house nearby told of a black haint, as they called it, that sat on the bare spot and cried all night long. They said his hot tears burned up the grass that tried to grow there, and that he moaned bitterly as he cried. And even those who had not ventured close enough to see the black haint told of hearing the plaintive cry, Get me out of here! Please, please get me out! As they passed the Purifoy yard late at night, they recognized the words as the recurring death cry of the well digger, a ghost who continued to haunt the place where his life came to an untimely death and horrible end when he was buried alive in Dr. Purifoy's well. Get me out! Get me out of here! Please! Please! Get me out! And that is the story of the crying spirit at the well. That story has been shared for many generations, and at this day it still gives me the goosebumps just thinking about it. I've never personally been to the Purifoy home, but I've always wanted to see that area, that spot where they said the grass still does not grow, where they try to dig that well. And I'd love to visit at nighttime and see if I can catch sight of that haint or at least hear those cries that people have heard all of these years. Perhaps you might be brave enough to venture out and pay a visit. Well, speaking of the South, most people here, if not all people, love a good helping of fried chicken. I know I've eaten many a piece of fried chicken in my lifetime. I love it. So I wasn't very happy when I heard this next story, but it's still a very good story and a classic in the realm of urban legends. We call this one Southern Fried Rat. Jim and Karen had gone to the movies on Friday night. After the film was over, they both felt pretty hungry, so they decided to stop somewhere for a bite to eat. But where? They discussed the decision for a while. Hamburgers? Nah, they always went for hamburgers after a movie, and that was getting very dull now. How about pizza? Well, that would be nice, except the only decent pizza joint around was in a pretty rough neighborhood. Neither Jim nor Karen relished going into that neighborhood, particularly at nighttime. You never could tell what might happen or who might jump out at you from the shadows. Well, then how about fried chicken? A brand new outlet for a popular fried chicken chain had opened up just a few blocks away. Why not, they decided, it would make a nice change from hamburgers. 
They drove over to the new fried chicken place. It was jam-packed with a large crowd of people who also had an appetite for that fried goodness. It seemed as, as if everybody in town had the same idea. Well, let's go someplace else, said Jim. It's so crowded that we'll never get a table. But Karen wanted to stay. Oh, it smells so good. I really want chicken now. We can get a takeout order and eat it in the car. Jim didn't much like that idea of eating in the car. Fried chicken crumbs got the upholstery dirty <laughs> and a little bit greasy. But Karen's desire for fried chicken was too powerful to resist. Reluctantly, he agreed that they would get a takeout order and eat in the car to avoid the crowd. When they got to the counter, Jim ordered regular chicken, but Karen ordered that extra crispy goodness. <laughs> Jim shuddered as he imagined the extra crispy crumbs and coating raining down on his clean upholstery, but he really was crazy about Karen, and whatever she wanted, he wanted to get it for her. Behind the counter, uniformed attendants were working with amazing speed, packaging up the orders and passing them out to the throng of eager customers who were ready to sink their teeth into that juicy goodness. Jim and Karen's order arrived in a matter of minutes, and they carried it out to the car. The place had been so crowded that Jim had been forced to park in the back of the lot beyond the reach of the parking lot lights. It was pretty dark inside the car, but you didn't need lights to eat fried chicken anyway. Or at least that's what Jim thought. He still worried about the upholstery, and he ate his chicken in silence. Karen, who was really hungry, tore into her order and was loudly crunching away at the extra crisp. Crunch, 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 crunch. Hey, be careful about those crumbs, Jim complained. I am being careful, Jim. Don't worry about your precious little car. After a few moments, the crunching came to a stop. Karen said, You know, there's something funny about this fried chicken. It doesn't taste right. But then she kept on eating. She ate and crunched for another moment. And then she said, Jim, this doesn't feel right either. Jim, you better switch on the light. Jim did as he was asked. Karen was correct. There was something very funny, very off about the fried chicken. Sticking out of the extra crispy coating of the piece that Karen held in her hand, the very piece she had been munching on, was a three-inch tail. Somehow, a rat had gotten in with the chicken pieces. It had been floured, fried up, and served to Karen, apparently by the very rushed workers who weren't paying very much close attention. Karen had eaten half of the rat before she had found out what it was. 
As soon as she realized what she had been munching away on, Karen went into shock. Jim felt very queasy too, but he managed to drive Karen to the hospital as fast as he could get those wheels moving. Once there, Karen had her stomach pumped. Karen's family threatened to sue. The fried chicken chain paid them a huge amount of money to keep quiet about what had happened, so the case never got to court, and it was never written up in any of the papers. Of course, the chicken people denied that it ever occurred, but just the same, they refused to let their company be named. Karen's financial future is very assured, but they say now that she won't eat anything that she does not cook herself. So next time you get a hankering for some fried chicken and you go out to your favorite place and you start munching away, you better check what's under that crispy coating first before you dig your teeth in because you never know what might have gotten mixed up in there. <laughs> That's a very gruesome story and a fun one to share, especially to see the faces of your audience just quench up in, in disgust. So keep sharing that story, because it's a goodie. Well, that is the Haunted Collection for now, and I hope you enjoyed these two stories, and hopefully I'll be back soon. It's summertime now. Today is June the 2nd. I'm looking forward to a lot of sunshine and a lot of nice, cool evenings, hopefully. Those evenings when it gets dark. If you have a little downtime in the evening and you feel the desire to watch a good creepy movie, go ahead and pop in that DVD or Blu-ray, whatever you have, and sit back and enjoy it. I know I'll be doing that on some of these summer evenings because they're great evenings for a good scary story. You don't need Halloween or Friday the 13th to come around to enjoy a good story. You can do it all year long. So go ahead. And as you do, remember, be sure to lock those doors and be sure to check those lights and watch out what you eat. And, of course, for the sake of heaven above... Have a happy haunting. 